Expanding our knowledge through those amongst us is a privilege we take for granted. Join me as we explore the minds of our fellow beings to unlock their knowledge for ourselves. Greetings, fellow travelers and storytellers. Welcome to another special entry of the Arthurian Anthologies podcast. In this episode, I have Tyler Swires on, a friend of mine from high school that began with me the journey into tabletop role-playing games. Listen to us recall our adventures together in the Star Wars universe, his D&D homebrew, and his current campaign, while also providing possible insights into the hobby that is tabletop RPGs. Now, without further ado, let's begin. Hello! Uh... Tyler Swires is here as a guest star in the Arthurian Anthologies podcast. He has been a good friend of mine since sophomore year of high school. Yeah, yeah, about that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably around like seven years now that we've been friends. Long time. Yeah, <laughs> in, in our in our lifespan. But um, let's hear a little bit about you, Tyler. What um, is behind the Swires? mentality well i'm a creator and a storyteller uh i've been dming for dungeons and dragons for a pretty decent amount of time probably about five years or so now uh, and uh yeah i mean you were kind of the the progenitors of this whole little adventure this whole little uh yeah, um, the, our first experience was with D&D 4E. Yeah. And that was with Mateus' campaign. Yep. And um, I remember we used to go over to, uh, it was Aaron's house, Aaron Wilson's house, my, bro- my brother's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would play D&D. And we didn't really know what we were doing at that point too no clue we were having a blast (laughs) yeah and then what got us really into it was when you got f and d force and destiny yep and we were really into the star wars uh uh not tabletop but just the universe in general well yeah that and also the mmo old republic Mm -hmm. we had been role-playing on there for some time now yeah and um if you hear a dog in the background, it's Tyler's dog. Hi, hi, Sora. Do you do you wanna do you wanna say hi? Okay. No, she doesn't want to say. Okay, hi. she doesn't want to say hi. hi. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we we played F and D, and that was how long of a campaign was that? I think that ran for at least a year, right? At least at least a year, yeah. Maybe two. I remember we were really overpowered kind of broken yeah um you guys have leveled up quite a bit and i just recently found the character sheets too yeah (laughs) those were chunky yeah yeah um but in that in that campaign it was it was all about uh our characters i I think it was mainly um my brother daniel his character his character was named james and then my um my character's name was uh kai's loafen Mm-hmm. And we we both had this weird kind of uh, conflict between each other because my character was kind of like a rogue a rogue force user, 
who was dabbling a little bit into the dark side, whereas James was a little bit more um, like a prodigy. My my brother liked making his characters like they're super powerful. Yeah, he did like that. <laughs> he still does. He still does. Yes. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that to that inside um your your campaign your campaign that you're running currently. I know how. How that's going? That that's not. Yeah, that, that <laughs> campaign might be over soon. Oh, TPK maybe. Possibly. Oh, it's, it's uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but Force and Destiny. What kind of like brought on the whole your whole aspect of of building that whole storyline when when we uh went through Star Wars and and kind of when you first started GMing. Like you, you. This was your first time, like GMing any kind yeah. of tabletop RPG. I was kind of just, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I didn't have any experience with any of that stuff at that point, and I was just kind of figuring it out as I went. Um, that's kind of actually how I developed my current style as yeah. a DM today is just through the experimentation that I went through. I remember you guys probably remember I was doing like a different thing every session. I was yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was that was probably like some of the best best times, especially when when we went into uh my, my brother Daniel's uh backstory. Mm-hmm. That was one of the best cuz like Mandalorians came down and we were on uh Onderon, right? Yeah. And and uh they came down and attacked the village, but but Daniel's character is like this like part i if anyone has seen the clone wars series i'm pretty sure tyler took took a little bit from that a little bit um and like uh the what, what was it the um the background of of Onderon is that there's like this a uh, royal royal bloodline yeah so the 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 background of the Onderon royal family was pretty much directly facelifted off of uh knights of the old republic too ah yes yeah uh, I actually I used a lot of inspiration from the Clone Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and Knights of the Old Republic too to kind of craft the lore. Yeah. That's, that's what I based most of the central lore in that of the Star Wars universe on. Even though there's a lot more than that, you know, there's like all the yeah the expanded universe stuff and all of that. But um, those were the three main things that I kind of used just because they're fresh in my mind. Um, but then, yeah, so my, my main process with that campaign was usually just kind of, I would take those elements, those story elements from currently existing Star Wars material, and then I would think like, okay, well, how can I take like Onderon, right? And we know that there's the royal family on Onderon, and then I know also from that same game, there's Mandalorians that live on the moon of Duxon. So yeah. like, how can, I, how can I just take that and turn it into like a little story of my own? And that's kind of how I would make all of the little the stories for you guys. And that was that was pretty that was pretty crazy uh, when, <laughs> when we had to fight the Mandalorians and then oh yeah, uh, Alan's character stabbing stabbing a freaking his stabbing light his light lightsaber, lightsaber into a, box, into of a detonators. box of oh my not gosh, the not the greatest plan. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the craziest things that like players do in campaigns. Oh my gosh, yep. Uh, players are their own worst enemy a lot of the time i find yes uh. <laughs> um but yeah force and destiny that that ins- that's what inspired me to start creating um Re- reborn in power but then it was power botonic and i remember you first played it um 
geez, that was five years ago now. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's grown. You, you have the chosen codex over there. I uh, do. I don't know how far, how far you've gotten into it. I'm working away at it. Yeah. It's a, this is a thick volume. Yeah. It's become quite the tome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so with, with that and D and D, we we moved on to D and D five E, I think, probably like six or it's like six months after uh, F and D, we we started playing our our first D and D campaign. Uh-huh. Um, after a few Actually, like you know, I think Daniel was the DM. Oh yeah, right? For, uh, first it was it was Daniel, my was, my brother. I was sick of it at that point. I didn't even. Yeah, you were like, I don't want to be a GM anymore. I that was to play the damn game. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we were doing the Tiamat uh, storyline, right? Yep. That was the but... um, Tyranny of Dragons. We never made it to Rise of Tiamat. Yeah, we didn't. Unfortunately, yeah. that's a lot of campaigns go. It died out, but yeah, yeah. But that one was uh, that one was interesting. I remember I had Sir Gallimon in that one, and you were uh, you had switched your character. I believe you started off with uh, I forget who you started off as. I know you. St- I know you. I know you end up some, becoming an an Osimar. Some weeaboo shit. But then we lost our character sheets, and we were like, "Okay, let's retcon it and make new characters and say we had been these characters the yeah. whole time." And you were an Osimar. That's um, when I actually Tempest I made, cleric, right? Yeah, that's when I made uh, Ari. Ari was a female. Oh Asimar yeah, and, yeah, and now you use Ari in, in all your campaigns. I do. Yeah, she's an NPC <laughs> in every campaign that I that I DM for now. That's good. Um, one of my favorites. I, I do like using uh, characters that I've made inside my campaigns as well. Mm-hmm. It allows for you to like just know the, like the backstory of the character yeah. and being able to just implement them into the story and allow like plot development to surround them. They're good for when you kind of just need like when you need to pull an NPC out of your ass. Yeah. But you still want it to be like fleshed out and like a real character and not just like this is Bob the the Bob yes. man. <laughs> He's a he's a bartender. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Yeah. Um but when when it came to that campaign, our our D D five E campaign, um you had homebrewed your own world. Mm-hmm. And I remember like it wasn't it wasn't all flushed out yet. You you were starting off with like a feudal Japan kind of style. Kind of a test run. Yeah. Um, and that was like our, our, our full first campaign. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. All the things that we went through. Yeah. Um, and that was when I played Torin, who was, uh, a mystic. Um, that was in the unearth arcana version of the mystic. And that was not, it was pretty broken. <laughs> it it was, was really it was broken. Very broken. And then, um, and then Daniel was playing a, a, a ranger yeah um he was also using the unearthed arcana revised ranger which is also very broken (laughs) yeah yeah um but damn all all the things that we went through in that campaign because he 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 daniel had based his character off of the dothraki in game of thrones Mm -hmm. and so he wanted his character to not even know how to speak common at the start we learned very quickly was was fun in idea but not very fun in practice yes 
and then he had to he had to get like a tiara yeah to wear i immediately after one session of it you're like, like fuck fuck that here's a magic item that lets you understand languages yeah <laughs> and um that was pretty funny because throughout that daniel's character was just like a, a straight up savage and then i was just like supposed to be the civilized person that was also kind of just like a um he was just not not the best person yeah um i i i'm pretty sure i, I was a like chaotic neutral at the start of that campaign and then i started to gain a little bit more of like a, a morality mm -hmm. um and then that was when um Havakiri yeah showed up so let's hear let's talk about Havakiri because I never got to I never got to learn about about what he was really what he was of. really capable of yeah um, so let's let's first like describe what Havakiri is so Havakiri for the the world that I had created um like you said already it was sort of a feudal Japan kind of deal um that was the inspiration behind it. I kind of created this little, I, I thought basically the inspiration for it was, it was like a seasonal Japan. Yeah. Cause the Japanese are very, very seasonal people. They're very into like their seasons, their four distinct seasons. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if like we had like four islands and each one kind of had its own season or element that yeah. it kind of, dealt with and so we had like the fire water earth and air oh yeah and that's um, where the primordial like all, all yeah. the lore from that and came so from basically the the lore behind it in the world was that the primordial planes essentially this is the spot on the material plane where they converged and so they created this sort of just primordial soup of like elemental energy hmm. and then oh. the original people that had lived in that in that land in this this series of island chains um had sort of harnessed this elemental energy and created sort of almost kind of similar to manifest zones in everon which yeah. are like the places where the planes spill over and you can kind of harness that energy to create crazy cool um contraptions i guess yeah so they had all created these like super elemental palaces that oh just, yeah i remember yeah, and each one had its own theme. There's yeah. like the volcano palace, which is literally built inside of the volcano. Yeah. There's the floating palace of the air domain. Yeah. You know, and then there was the one that you guys made your home base. That was the, the, wa the, the water one. The water yeah, palace. Yeah, the Ishikawa family. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Ishikawa. Their, their water temple, I guess, their water palace, yeah. sort of in the middle of a lake. And the water itself was so turbulent and and rocky and whatnot that it was just impossible to swim or take a boat across so they had this sort of like magical bridge that they could raise or lower into the water yeah i remember that I, I always imagined it like as as like this like blue lining of like just like a like a blue shield kind of going out yeah towards the palace as we walk across like these like like just crazy wave like uh like kind of like trench area yeah that was that was the idea um and so it just kind of but yeah, um, Habakiri. That's right. That, that's, how we, that's how we got on it. <laughs> Habakiri um, was in this world the sword of a god. And this god had 
had once been a mortal. Uh, sort of like a mortal hero becomes a god kind of a deal. So he was one of these Kinakutans, which is the name of the, the feudal Japanese land. And he... Basically, he was this just mortal hero who had a legendary sword forged for him and then defeated a great evil and became a god because of it. Classic Japanese folktale, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I took the names, actually, the name of this hero directly from Japanese mythology is Susano. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's Susano. A, yeah. yeah, I remember. But... uh Everything else about him was not Susano from the folklore. It was yeah. just the name that I stole. Uh, <laughs> oh, you got to do that As at, at times. You're just like, what name should I use? Yeah, and then you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, being a DM is just stealing things from other DMs. Yeah. And then making them your own. Um, but, yeah. And so Habakiri was essentially this legendary sword that had once belonged to a god. And I, I kind of... I really, really like the idea of magic weapons or items that sort of scale with you, that level up with you and yeah. gain more abilities as you get stronger. Um, so Habakiri was one of those items sort of similar to Matt Mercer's um, Vestiges of Divergence in his in his world. Uh, and Habakiri was kind of similar to that, but with a little bit more attached. Instead of three levels, there was like five levels of advancement. Yeah. Um, with varying levels of power that way I could give it to you a little bit earlier on and so I think you remember basically like it did extra lightning damage but the part you didn't get to is eventually you could like there's a spell called storm sphere in the elemental one um, and I think it's in Volos as well but or not Volos uh, Xanathar's but basically it creates like a a ball of lightning around you that just like does damage as bonus action like lightning damage shoots out like difficult terrain Dang. and shit for people gives you like the sword would have given you immunity to lightning and thunder damage yeah a fly speed i'm pretty sure i got immunity to, to I, lightning i think you got yeah. lightning yeah yeah um it would have given you like a fly speed of 60 feet oh <laughs> yeah um basically it would have just made you like a lightning warrior by the end yeah dang but but then we got TPK'd. Yep, a TPK did happen in that game. And it was under very unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but damn, that that would have been cool if, if I was able to unlock that. Yeah, T Torin was a, was, a, was a mystic, but he then became kind of... He, he changed once, once Habakiri kind of was able to speak to him and he was able to like get some kind of insight from from this from the sword mm -hmm. um from the sentient sword and it it allowed him to grow as a character and then once daniel's character died um to uh, what was his name jokar 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 yeah jokar uh had died right in front actually not right in front of Torin. Torin had died right in from Jokar, and then Jokar died after that. And then we got re we got resurrected. Everyone got resurrected except for Jokar. Yeah, Jokar was the one that failed. Well, but but <laughs> yeah, but there was a uh, Jokar actually wasn't even going to die 
in the first place. He wasn't like on the verge of yeah. death, but he drank this potion. Uh, and the potion is what killed him, but it didn't actually kill but him. The potion is what caught. Put, he was going to become a blood hunter. A blood hunter. Yeah, that was his idea. Is his character idea, which he didn't really want the rest of the party to know at the time because yeah. he wanted it to be kind of a dramatic reveal. Yeah. Um, was he was going to drink this potion and then it was going to quote unquote kill him. So everyone else thought he was dead in the party and he made a new character and everything. And then um, he uh, he was going to basically come back, write the second, the new character out and kind of retire that character and then have his original one come back as a blood hunter. So him and I were actually running. That would have been so cool. We were running a bunch of solo sessions, actually, one on one. Uh, after Drokar had come back to life with his yeah. Bloodhunter powers and leveling up his, his class levels in Bloodhunter in the so solo depressing. sessions. And he had actually learned quite a bit about what was going on. And so he was gonna gonna be your knowledge resource when he came back and like tell you guys all of those like missing pieces you guys couldn't figure out, those yeah. missing pieces of the puzzle that you guys were like, What is this and why is this person doing this? Why is the villain the villain? Like yeah. what, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And he was going to kind of show up, save your guys' asses from one of the bad guys, and then tell you what was going on. Damn. Um, but, yeah, we never got to that because the TPK ended up happening before that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then and then right after that, you started your Eberron campaign. Yeah. I don't know how, lo- how long. Like, well, I started, you. no, I started my uh, my Taldori campaign after that. Oh, yeah, the Taldori campaign after that. Yeah. Well, weren't you already doing it? I'm pretty sure you were doing it. At that point, I think I was. Yeah, I think I started it about halfway through your guys's. Yeah, uh, Kina Kuta. Yeah, because because I remember that uh, we were we were doing it, and and they were and they were they were still lower level than us, uh-huh. and so like you were like, oh, to to your other group, oh, uh, you haven't faced the shit that I've thrown at at yeah. them yet, and, yeah, <laughs> and then now some crazy shit. Yeah. I think one of those encounters was like an ancient red dragon and like two gift. Yankee oh yeah that like was freaking people. oh and then i remember uh torrid freaking stabbed the dragon in in the freaking mouth and then like tore tore out its head and then and then went with the gif to yeah. uh oh your your team was not happy about that one yeah <laughs> that was that was pretty that was that was pretty uh, good yeah, for, for explanation there, Torin had telepathy because he was a mystic and yeah. so he was communicating with the gif trying to get him to take Torin back to the Gith's leader, who the Gith were sort of the main villains there at the time. And so he didn't really tell his teammates because all of this was happening telepathically, so they just saw him teleport away with the bad guy yeah. <laughs> and thought that he had betrayed them. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yeah, and and also it didn't help that Dan- Daniel's character was, was brand new to the party, so and, and he was also a, a wizard, yeah. so who was, who was pretty smart. And he was just kind of like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, it was like, really? just like, "What the fuck?" Didn't know anything about me. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Alberto's character. Oh, remember when he almost like he, he got like messed up from the library that we went to. Yeah, just went insane. Yeah. Wow. They tried oh. to read some forbidden knowledge in an ancient library, and uh, one of them didn't didn't come out unscathed from yeah. that experience dang i remember alberto alberto had like four characters yeah he, throughout that campaign he had a habit of dying yeah <laughs> he was just really unlucky he would fail his death saves sometimes he would just make poor decisions yeah no that was um, that was horrible yeah but um let's move on from there 
to um, your current D&D campaign in Eberron. Um, this, has been, this has been going on for a few months now. I think we started... Since COVID started? Somewhere, I think a little bit before COVID, so probably almost a year. Yeah, I wow. Think. Wow, that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, what they're only level five, right? Correct. They're only level five. I've been pacing this one really slowly. Because of Eberron. Because, you know, for those of you that don't know, Eberron is sort of, as Keith Baker, the creator of Eberron, likes to say, it's sort of wide magic, but not high magic. So yeah. magic is everywhere, and it's a big integral part of the society, but it's it's not powerful magic. It's not, like, crazy shit, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of... Yeah, the bartender uses a ring that can chill drinks when he hands them to people. It's a magic ring that chills drinks. Or, you know, like, just That's really cool. simple, <laughs> mundane stuff, but they use Grab, magic. Grabs the glass and just like, shh. Mm -hmm. Here you go. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sick. Um, there's a lot of cool applications uh, of that. And you can go, there's, like, Reddit it, it almost It almost feel, feels like, um, like our modern-day society of how, like, technology has advanced us so kind far. Of, yeah, so... That, that's... That it has gotten to a point where we are so it's just mundane things that we don't mm -hmm. we take for granted how how great we have it, and it's just like oh, you yeah. know, and instead of instead of having Even to look on at a, like, at a map, we wonders, have we yeah. have GPS on our phone. Yeah, but, but yeah. it's just normal to us. It's yeah. it's standard it's procedure. Magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and that's kind of the idea of Ebron, right? It's like it's instead of technology. They have magic, but the magic is supposed to kind of be an sort of like a parallel yeah. to technology in our world. And yeah. so it's it's kind of like any time something would advance technologically in our world, in Eberron, you kind of have to think, okay, well, how would this evolve magically? Yeah. How would they find a magical way to do this kind of thing? Yeah, that's that, that's an interesting like kind of like trying to trying to compare the compared it to yeah technology and magic and that confuses people a lot because a lot of people tend to can they tend to conflate them yeah with their eberron games and that's one of the main things because i read keith baker's blog on yeah. his website and so i've i've read all of his his ideas about eberron and one of the main things i see a lot of people do is they'll they'll kind of like think of this they think that Ebron is like a steampunk almost, where it's like technology yeah. and magic fused, but it's it's that's not usually the intention. I mean, if that's how you want to run your Ebron, like go ahead. But I don't, I don't personally think that that's the intention. I think it's more of like just magic on itself. Yeah, you know, just like purely like oh well, we just in we fused an elemental into this ship, and then we drew arcane runes on it, so it flies like boom, airship. It's not like technology really. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's a really fun campaign setting. Um they've been kind of doing like a around the world in eighty days kind of thing, around Eberron in eighty days kind of thing right yeah. now. They've just been going to all the different places. Wow. They yeah. don't really want to stay in one spot. Uh and I've been giving them pretty full free reign. We've been doing kinda almost sandboxy but with like a loosely threaded narrative so yeah. far that connects everything. Um, one thing I would recommend for an Eberron game is to make sure you use the group patrons function that they added in that, uh, in the new 5e Eberron. Yeah. It's just, it, it makes things so much Ma easier. Yeah. Cause, cause at the start of every campaign, it's, it's hard for players to get, to get to working together. 
I, I find it that yeah. like difficult, especially like for for players who are who are just like, oh no, my character wouldn't wouldn't go with these people because that's just not how how he would he would act. Yeah, it's like that is an issue that tends to to come up. Uh, and the the best way I've found around that is to just kind of make sure that all of your players understand the mindset that this is a game that we're playing together. Yeah, and like don't don't make a character that isn't gonna work with the group you yeah know? like don't yeah. don't purposely make a character that's gonna not unless, unless play you're the game. unless you're running like an evil campaign where it, it, like every character is like evil yeah i'm in that case i guess it could make sense to have that kind of character but you still have but to yeah you ha- provide has to be DM some with sort of narrative threads that allow him to link you to the party in some kind of narrative way yeah that way it's not like you're just kind of there and your character doesn't really have any motivation to be there yeah Um, and it's like at the very least just be friends in character with the other characters like say my character grew up with this other character and he's friends with him that's why he's here like it's that easy you just just throw something throw your bone throw your dm a bone like, don't make him do all the work because it's such a pain in the ass when the players just expect the DM to like think of clever ways why every single one of the characters yeah, is we're, related to we're, each other. We're already and, like, doing so much behind the screen. Like, yeah, exactly. That, that's just like, an, another thing that just like picks at our brain. There's so much that the DM already has to deal with. We don't want to deal with your backstory. <laughs> yeah, that's for you to figure out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, but currently in, in my, uh, in my D campaign, which I'm playing tonight, um, we have, we're, I'm level, I, I'm one level ahead of them because I started out, I, I started out my character a, l- a little bit, like, higher level than them, um, just because I, I know how to play a little bit better, my, my DM allowed me to do that. Sort of the guide character. Yeah, and then, um, and then everyone else kind of started off at level three, I started off at level five. Okay. And um, now they're a level behind me, so they kind of like caught up a little bit. Um, but I'm level se- we're, we're, I'm level seven. He, they're level six, and we are um, we're inside my my DM's uh, homebrewed world mm-hmm. called Destacarn, and uh, we are currently in the process of trying to find this um, this lady for this weird shadow demon god person uh we call him psalm he didn't give us a name and and he uh his uh when we when we met him uh we had we were about to die by the hand of a powerful like sorcerer and um and then he he took us away and basically he gave us this gift which is this thing called the echo and it is a um it basically allows us to uh, recall memories that aren't our own, and and all of us kind of like together are able to recall this memory, like as our as our group. And um, there's a lot of like cool things, cool cool aspects inside this. That's just a cool this. concept, honestly. Yeah, I, I really like that that concept. Of, yeah, like being able to just kind of insert memories into the party. Yeah, and it all, it, it helps it helps with like being able to tell lore. Yeah, I, I I find it that yeah. like, but really also sometimes sometimes it's just like big info dumps when you're just like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. But. 
let's move on to your D&D campaign. Okay. And um, your current one is right now about to possibly experience a TPK. I'm not sure exactly the, the details of how you're going to deus ex machina this shit. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I kind of... I... You, you've, you've wasted all of your deus ex machinas? Yeah, I don't want to just keep kind of ham-fisting deus exes in there. Like, yeah. at this point... Whoever survives, survives. It's kind of just, yeah, it's kind of just ride or die. Yeah. So basically, what's going on right now is... Uh, the players, they are... They were up against this... There's a sect. Oh, sorry. I, I, I was pa- I paused it, and I, I saw that you can only record for 30 minutes in a web browser. Okay. It does say right there. That's why the well, recording got cut off. Well, screw you, Yeah. Anchor. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so the players, they have been facing off against this sect of... Uh, there's a religion called the Silver Flame in Eberron. Yeah. And... One of the the sort of sects of that religion is a extremist cult called the Pure Flame, and they're uh, they're the remnants of a lycanthropic outbreak that happened about like a hundred or so years ago in the world. Yeah, uh, where it was just it was horrible, right? The lycanthropes, it was werewolves and were rats mostly that were just causing havoc in uh, the Eldine reaches and the on on Darien area. So the Templars, the Silver Flame warriors, I guess, which, to clarify, are not all paladins. They're mostly just regular soldiers, but some some of them are paladins. Being, being, being a Silver Flame paladin? Yeah. That sounds like a pretty cool gig. Yeah. Go, pretty, go, go and fight off some werewolves. Pretty nice. Well, <laughs> the werewolf fighting part probably kind of sucks, but... Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, so basically the were the were rats and the werewolves they were like sneaking into the cities. They were fostering distrust specifically between there's a there's a race in Ebron called the Shifters. Oh yeah. And the Shifters are not related to the lycanthropes, at least not definitively. There's a possibility they might be ancestrally related. Are, but... Shifters aren't changelings, right? No. Shifters are the beast the beast men. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Shifters are they? They're called shifters because they change kind of in a, like a more bestial form, and then they can change back. Oh yeah, I remember when I when I was form. making my character, I was like thinking like, um, what if I want to be a shifter? Yeah, and, and I, that was between that and the Kalistar. Yeah, yeah, Kalistar, one of my favorite races yeah. in, in the Eberron world. But um, so the shifters, right? They they kind of had all of this distrust fostered by the were rats, who specifically were trying to make. Because the shifters hate lycanthropes. The shifters could have been allies to the humans. But the the lycanthropes kind of made the humans distrust the shifters, making them think that they were also lycanthropes or just as bad as lycanthropes, you know? Yeah. Framing them for things. And so basically they just kind of turned those two groups against each other, and then they just wreaked havoc on both. That was their plan there. And so the result of that is that 100 years later, right, this... the sect of the silver flame that emerged from that area where that happened has become very extremist very anti-shifter very very um terror based right and the, the silver flame is all about fighting evil yeah the pure flame defines evil a little bit more uh 
loosely yeah. than the regular church does, right? Whereas the silver flame is a little bit more lenient. They're just kind of like, well, if it's undead, kill it. Otherwise, like, we'll figure it out. The pure flame is kind of like, if it's not human, kill it. It's evil. So they're kind of <laughs> they're kind of zealots oh, in that okay. aspect. Yeah. Um, right. Having religious zealots inside. Yeah. That that that, all, that usually. Tends so to that's be. that's been a. Basically, there's this this man who has worked his way up in the ranks of the Pure Flame. His name is Alistair. And he's been kind of pulling the strings. He's kind of like the main villain of your campaign. He's, he's been the kind of their main villain. supposed main villain. Yeah, he's been their main <laughs> villain. So Alistair has these two bodyguards that follow him around. And the bodyguards have these weird, like, tiger-looking face tattoos. Black stripes and, like, yellow cat eyes. Um... And these two bodyguards are just always with him. Yeah. Alistair himself is a pretty powerful spellcaster. Um, he uses divine magic. And he's been shown to have some pretty pretty powerful spells at his belt. So he's been kind of their recurring villain, right? Eberron is all about having recurring villains that sort of show up over and over again and always seem to narrowly escape yeah. capture or death. And so he's kind of been that, he's been filling that Mahal. Role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, like, villain, like, serialized, like, like, like TV it, show. Kinda, yeah, TV you know? show, like, it, like, yeah, like, kids show animation. That's kind of the vibe <laughs> I've been going for with this campaign. And so he's been the recurring Team villain. Rocket, blast it off again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot more menacing than Team Rocket. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's, uh, he's kind of just been interfering with them everywhere they go. You know, trying to put a wrench in their plans, and they've been doing the same to him. They've been slowly kind of piecing together what he's working on. And they they figured out that he has been going to these ancient Koatl temples and corrupting the energy there, um, for some kind of ritual yeah. that he's trying to perform. So they found the place where he's doing the ritual, um, and everything started to come to a head with basically the final mission of this story arc to stop Alistair. So their goal was to stop him from performing the ritual. Um, which he had to do during a um, a sort of holiday period called the Long Shadows, yeah. which is like a three-day period where one of the planes is the like the plane of darkness and evil, basically is coterminous with the world. And it's almost like the like the what's it called um, when the planets align, like when the planets align kinda, and yeah. everything, like you know. Yeah, it's it's similar. I just idea I, to I that. just I just finished Legend of Korra. And, uh, and it's like, like harmonic convergence. Yeah, harmonic convergence. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a little Probably something. My least favorite part about Korra. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Finishing that was was kind of a, a drag for me. Like last night, I was just like, oh my gosh, I just want to get this <laughs> over with. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, basically, this this character Alistair, yeah. he is doing the ritual and. They teamed up with Karnath, which is a very militant country and long been enemies to Thrain. Yeah. Um, and basically, Thaliost is a previously Ondarian city that is now under Thrain control. The Pure Flame is strongest in Thaliost, and the Archbishop of Thaliost is Alistair's ally. That's where the ritual is happening, is in the main temple Yeah, in that area. Because uh, Alistair has convinced all of these people that he's working for the Pure Flame, the good of the Pure Flame, and that he's you know doing the Lord's work, and that all of this is for the good of humanity. But in reality, he's just an asshole who's doing this for himself. 
you know he's just a villain he just he just wants wants to get his power back yeah exactly. i'm pretty sure you told me i did yeah that... i'll get to that in a second yeah but, um, <laughs> so basically what what matt is referring to is <clears throat> alistair is actually a fallen angel and he's doing all of this to try and regain his i guess divinity his angelic power as an as an angel and so that's where his divine spellcasting comes from is just that remnant of the power he once held um but yeah he's he's an angel and he's just sort of masquerading around in human form pretending to be a human and so there's there's sort of one more twist as well on top of that which is that alistair himself is being manipulated by the two bodyguards uh who are rakshasa which i thought was pretty evident from the tiger tattoos and cat eyes but my party didn't pick up on that <laughs> um they also they also when you when, you, when about... you like put foreshadowing elements throughout the campaign and no one just picks yeah, up no on it and you're just like well, wow. oh well <laughs> guess i'll find out later yep yeah and so yeah, those those two Rakshasa kept talking about how they wanted to eat the players. Uh, they're a limited magic community, not quite as powerful. They're they're Zakia Rakshasa, so they're they're not quite as powerful as like the monster manual ones that have spells of sixth level or lower don't affect them. Oh geez. They had first level or lower yeah. spells don't affect them. Yeah, yeah. So a lot a lot more you, balanced to you, fight a party of level fours than Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes it a little bit easier, man. Yeah, still not easy, but um, especially when you have two warlocks and their eldritch blast is useless. It's like <laughs> I, I want to go. I want to go into a, a campaign inside Eberron using magic because I because then I could be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm cool because I use yeah. magic. But yeah, well, turns out people who are immune to magic. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So basically, their mission was to go in. They they had a stealth mission to sneak into Thaliost and stop the ritual. Yeah. There was going to be a siege. Karnathi forces, not working with Karnath, of course. They were working independently so as not to draw attention to the crown and start a, a war. Um, but basically, Karnathi soldiers who weren't flying the Karnathi banner, just working as independent mercenaries, were going to stage a bandit, like a bandit raid on the city, essentially. Just a massive bandit raid as cover yeah. for, the, for the players. And so... Yeah. The players had their bandit raid ready, but they decided they had they had a couple options on how they wanted to sneak into the city. One of them was sneaking in a day early and oh, yeah. like lying their way in with disguises and fake uh, documents to get into the city that was on lockdown. That was the option they chose. Rather than they could have just you know gone in with the bandits, or they could have snuck in through the sewers while the bandits were attacking. But all those options had had. Uh, yeah, everything, all the different options had their own positives and negatives. Yeah. Right? They all had their own drawbacks. Yeah. But the drawback of the one they chose, which was sneaking in a day early, is that if they got caught, they were kind of fucked. Yeah. And it was made clear to them that if they got caught doing this one, like, they're they're in enemy territory, their forces aren't coming for another day, and they're just, they're surrounded, so if they get caught, like, there's really not there's much There's nothing can they can do. Yeah. So they were they chose that still because they have a lot of they have some sneaky boys and some light lying boys in their party. So they were like, yeah, I think we can do this. You got like two warlocks in that party, right? Yeah, two warlocks, a rogue, 
um, a Dex fighter. Yeah. Sharpshooter uh, gunslinger. Oh, geez, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a he's an Eric Cocker gunslinger. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember when I when I was in my <laughs> yeah. session that was. He's like one of the. He's pretty much the main DPS. <laughs> that's good. Uh, <laughs> he's he he does hella damage. He chunks. <laughs> He's got multi attack. He does like fifteen damage per shot. And then it isn't like the gunslinger are using. What gunslinger class are you using? The 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 Matthew Mercer. Yeah, one? the Matt Mercer gunslinger yeah. class. Um, yeah, because uh, like that one, like with the when they not one, it's a, it's just a misfire, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it the gun breaks and you have to repair it. Depending on the gun, there's different misfires. Like yeah. I think the sniper has like three, two, or one. It breaks. It jams. Yeah. But um. Regardless, yeah, he's a he's a gunslinger. So they've you know they've got a lot of decks in the party. They got a lot of charisma in the party. So they were like, yeah, let's sneak in and lie our way through. Our strong Sounds suit. Good. Yeah, this is what we're good at. And they actually did really well. Yeah, they snuck in through the main gates, and then they got there's sort of like a central inner gate right inside the city. Another gate, like another set of walls that close off like the nobility yeah area. You know the noble upper ward. And so they snuck into the upper ward as well, and they're like in there. They got to the, the main temple where the ritual is going to happen, and they got a couple of their objectives to help the bandits, the bandit raid, quote unquote, yeah, to succeed. You know, they disabled some of the siege weaponry on the walls so that it was easier for them to storm the gates. You know, stuff like that. Um, and they were doing really well, and then they got in, and uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> one of their warlocks, one of the kobolds. There's two kobold brothers, and one of them is a warlock, one of them is an artificer. And the warlock went with the rogue, because they're going to try and sneak into this temple to steal the supplies, put it all in their bag of holding, and then get out so that they could spend the night somewhere in the in the upper ward and then get ready for the assault at dawn. Um, on the way in, the warlock failed his stealth check. And You're like, uh, I don't, don't want to like, talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually like to punish players for bad rolls. So it's still a failure. And so I'm not going to just, you know, allow it to not be a failed roll. But I'll, I'll usually give a player the opportunity to kind of think their way out of it and, and get out of the situation. Yeah. Like, you know, they're about to be caught. And so I'll give them like a, I gave them like a 10 second, like, okay. The guard looks over and like is now looking in your direction. Some of the guards fan out and they're trying. They're like searching the area to see because they heard something, but they don't see him because he was invisible. He cast yeah. the invisibility spell on himself, so they didn't see him, but they heard something. So they're investigating, and I was like, "Okay, how how do you want to try and get out of this situation?" He thought of something and he got out, um, but that put him all the way back at the beginning. The rogue continued to sneak. Instead of letting the rogue continue, he decided he was going to try it again to catch up with the rogue and so they could do it together. Mm. He failed his check again. <laughs> and so this time I had to be a little bit more harsh with, you know, the guards reacting to him. I still give him the opportunity, but I, I was a little more harsh with, with how they reacted to that failure. So this time they found his footprints, you know, and so... Yeah. I was like, okay, they're they're searching around now. They saw your footprints. They know you're there, but they still can't see you. How do you want to try and get away? And he decided to try and sneak under one of their legs. Because <laughs> uh, he's invisible. He, yeah, he thought, because I'm invisible, can't... I'll just sneak under this guard's legs who's actively searching for me, which, I mean, it's possible. It wasn't a 100% failure chance. It was possible. Yeah. But it also required another roll, which he also failed. <laughs> 
Yeah. He, he was not rolling very well that like, night. He was no. pretty upset about it. But magic, man. Could he yeah. use magic? The uh the guard rolled really well on a perception to spot him, and he rolled garbage even with advantage from being invisible. So the guard heard him, reached out, grabbed him, picked him up, and was like, I got him, you know? Yeah. And then things just started going to shit from there. It was just a downward spiral. <laughs> that player sometimes makes some questionable decisions when it comes to yeah but like, you always had to have one of those players yeah they, they make it interesting yeah yeah and so and then, he, and then you and then it, it's fun for the dm because it it's is. like because oh like, wow what what is what gonna what's gonna now? happen oh now <laughs> yeah and so he calls out for help he said a little help here of course mm-hmm. immediately the guards go there's more. more of them. Search the search the city. Oh you know, my god! Like, search the area. There's more yeah. around here. Uh, and so the little warlock he breaks free of the guards and he starts sprinting over directly to where his allies are. Leads yeah. the guards straight to them. They have to fight. They come out. They fight the guards. They kill like eight of the guards and then more are coming out to search. Place goes on lockdown because one of them successfully blew his alarm horn. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Wow. So the players try to escape through the sewers, but, but the sewers is a whole nother beast. It's filled with monsters and whatnot. They get pinched attacked, basically. There's a monster in the sewers that oh, cuts yeah, they... off their escape, and then the guards come in behind them, so now they're in between the guards and the monster. They TPK. They go down. Um, but fortunately, the guards captured them. The guards didn't just kill them outright. You know, They captured them. So they get, them to... they get dragged in. Alistair? Straight to Alistair, and Alistair completes the ritual. Alistair wasn't supposed to complete the ritual, but I mean, it was possible. So now things are a little more difficult because the ritual was basically the, the two Rakshasa bodyguards were manipulating Alistair into doing this ritual the whole time. They told him that they worshipped Alistair like a god because Alistair is very egotistical and arrogant, so he believed that. Yeah. Um, and that they were doing this to help him because they believed he was a god. It was not the case. They were manipulating Alistair to do this ritual. Yeah. Because he was the only one with the power to do it. And it was actually a ritual to weaken the bonds that bind Bel Shalor, one of the demon overlords, in Kyber. Um, and so <laughs> that basically this sort of shadowy aspect succeeded in resurrecting (laughs) yeah this this shadowy aspect that represents sort of some of the semi-sentience of belshalor it's not a full avatar of belshalor yet but it's sort of the beginning of that he is the shadow in the flame he is you know the betrayer the liar the schemer yeah and so he's essentially the father of rakshasas and now there's this sort of shadow monster that yeah. is like semi-sentient and is just kind of the the will of Belshalor. Just kind of represents his murderous betrayal and murderous intent and whatnot. And so now it's kind of sort of running amok. And the Rakshasa now have to kind of guide it to where they need it to go to become a full, fully realized avatar of Belshalor. You know? Yeah. Like actually releasing the demon overlord. So that's the next step. And whether or not they TPK is determined on whether or not they can defeat these Rakshasa and and stop. So this. that's where they're left they left off where that's they are. That's where they left off, yeah. With that thing escaping. And and they're 
going to be facing the Rakshasa? No, the Rakshasa left with it. Okay. But they have to find them now. They have to track them down in time. Otherwise, because if Belshalor is released and an Avatar is released, I have the stats for it just in case. The entire world is done. An Avatar of Belshalor, but it's over. There's no one in the world that it well there's no one in corvair the continent they're on that is currently capable of fighting anything like that it's it's like a cr26 they're level five it's like he's uh, a demon overlord yeah he's, <laughs> he's like on level of like a lesser god like yeah he's, he's insane um <laughs> i mean giving them as many chances as you can yeah so they'll have a chance but it'll it'll definitely be difficult and there's a chance that with poor rolls, there could be a TPK coming up soon. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> let me know how how that goes. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I had a character in it, and you know, I wanted to come back. Yeah. Uh, your guest star. Yeah. But if they're dead, I can't come back. Um. But. Wow. That that's crazy. Yeah. Um. Dang, yeah, my uh, my campaign, my my reborn in power campaign. Uh, it, I thought it was gonna get to a point like like that. It almost got to a point like that, mm-hmm. but they were able to get out of it. And um, I, I do throw them a bone every now and then. Yeah, because like, the game is about having fun. Yeah, not- and plus, plus uh, like reborn since reborn in power is like a brand new kind of system. Like it's all like a learning experience, mm-hmm. not just for, not just for them, but for me. It's it's to yeah. allow allow for very um, easy to just kind of make challenges that you didn't realize were too difficult, yeah. especially when you're experimenting with a new system. Yeah, that's it's definitely a, a necessary thing to kind of be able to improvise on the fly and and throw your players that bone because nobody yeah. wants nobody's gonna have fun if it's like this is completely unfair and there's no way we ever could have done this in a million years yeah exactly you're just yeah. like they feel like they're being punished and they're not having fun and as yeah. a dm you're not having fun because your players aren't having fun so it's all it's you know it's all about making it an enjoyable experience for everyone at the table yeah um i'm i'm really excited because uh my my game now that it's finished, I, I can I can start prepping for a new campaign. Yeah. Um, I know I talked to you about about possibly being the the GM for it mm-hmm. um, in the future, um, and we could like we could talk more about more about that. But currently, we're we're going to be starting back up with you guys playing, you, uh, my brother, and Eli. Yeah. And. Uh, Last you guys left off, you guys had gone into a uh, an underground kind of fighting arena and made a shit ton of money. A shit ton of money. We were we have just dipped our fingers in every kind of crime we could think of so far. We're just we're racketeers. Yeah, we're, yeah, and uh, gamblers. And we're now and and during during that campaign, I was I was at the end of my playtest campaign for like the like the big one. Um. So now I'm going to have to kind of incorporate what happened there. And you guys are going to have a little bit of a time skip because we haven't played for a few months now. Yeah. It's um, been a, been a like, I bit. think it's been like two months now, but 
but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do a time skip. You guys are gonna be be allowed to level up and uh, kind of incorporate your characters into the new like system that I have built, like all, all the all the current updates that, that I have made, and um, and also I I I included your character somewhat of your character into my lore yeah um so that that will be fun to kind of like ex explore into uh backstories and and all of that uh i have plans i have plans <laughs> and um that'll be that'll be really fun eventually though we're, we're gonna end up having a reborn in power stream yeah. um i plan on doing that next year and i i want you to be a part of it I want you to be a, either a player or the GM, depending on like what what we decide to do mm -hmm. in the near future. But I think that's good for our conversation today. Thank you, yeah. Tyler, for joining the podcast. Yeah, it was fun. And hopefully, in the future, we can continue and then uh, create a new podcast together, um, playing Reborn in Power. Yeah. All right. I thank you for listening to our conversation. Next year in 2021, you may be seeing and hearing from Tyler a bit more as we plan on bringing you a live stream of the Reborn in Power tabletop RPG. As for this podcast, next week I will be moving forward with the final entry in the Exmander arc with the Legend of Vector. Once again, if you'd like to support me, you can donate to my Subscribestar account Reborn in Power, or check out my website at ArthanianAnthologies.com. I will be posting this podcast up on Subscribestar and the website, so keep a watchful eye. Until then, be safe, stay safe, and if death comes to you, may you be reborn in power. <laughs>